Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Have you had conversations with Aaron since leaving Green Bay, and what was that goodbye like? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've, we've talked multiple times and, you know, we talked throughout the whole process, too. And he was he was aware of, uh, you know, where I stood and I was aware of where he stood. And we we had talks just like what he said um, the other day. He mentioned we had talks about his future and what he what he thinks his his duration in Green Bay or just football in general would look like. And, you know, that played into into my decision as well, because, you know, where I'm in my career, um, you know, and this isn't a shot at anybody. Any other quarterbacks are, you know, on the, in Green Bay. You know, I love Jordan Love, especially. He's a, he's a great guy. But, you know, I just, I got I got aspirations of doing really, really big things and, and being remembered. And I just, you know, it just it wasn't really a point in my career that I was willing to, to sacrifice, um, you know, Aaron not being there, you know, after a year or two. So um, my decision was to be here, and, and he respected that. He understood that you guys have heard Green Bay offered this, which was higher than what I was and all of that. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll say it, it, it was true, okay? It was true. But, like I said, there's much more that goes into it, and, and family is a big part of it for me. So geographically being here is it makes it a lot easier for me to stay connected to my family year-round. And, you know, this, is, this isn't year two, or I'm not trying to necessarily fight for a job or anything like that to where, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You got to just stay out there. You know, I, I had the, the, the choice, and the choice for, was for me to come here and, you know, raise my family on the West Coast and, and come out here and, and have some fun in the sun. Devontae Adams talking about his decision to push for a trade from the Green Bay Packers to the Las Vegas Raiders. Just another major example of how the NFL is shifting toward a league that teams are finding ways to accommodate players who aren't happy. Instead of saying to Devontae Adams, hey, we use the franchise tag on you. You got two choices. Play for us and make the franchise tag money or play for no one. We're not going to trade you just because you want to be traded. We're starting to see now teams willing to accommodate players and understanding what it means to keep players happy and how that, and, and it's the line 
that Mike Tomlin uses all the time. Chris Ballard invoked it earlier this year as I was trying to get him to explain to me why teams are moving in this direction. We want volunteers, not hostages. And Green Bay decided to get what they could for Devontae Adams and let him volunteer for a different team. So not a surprise. And even though he took great pain, Shireen, to say that this isn't about Jordan Love, he did say, I'm looking at one or two more years with Aaron Rodgers, and I wasn't comfortable with that. So maybe that's all that needs to be said about what he thinks of Jordan Love. That's the biggest thing I took out of what he said, Mike, was the Jordan Love quote. And as much as he tried to downplay, I love Jordan Love. This was about Jordan Love because he sees the end of Aaron Rodgers' career and he wants to go somewhere with a quarterback who he knows. Obviously, he knows Derek Carr from college and that's who he wanted to go back with and play the rest of his career with. And he doesn't think much of Jordan Love, or to me, he would have stayed in Green Bay to spend another year, two years, three years with Aaron Rodgers and then go, okay, well, Jordan Love's taken over whenever Aaron leaves, so it's going to be just as good. I, I really think this was an indictment of, of Jordan Love, that he doesn't think that much of Jordan Love. That's what I took out of this, Mike, more than anything else. And this ongoing narrative that the Packers ultimately offered more money than the Raiders did, the two points that get overlooked in that regard. Number one, the Packers didn't offer the money until basically they were backed into a corner. If they had put a huge offer on the table November, December, while there was still a little bit of injury risk on Devontae Adams, he possibly takes it. He took the first extension from the Packers right at the conclusion of his first contract with the team. That was a year they didn't make it to the playoffs. It was a late December, early January, right after the regular season, he signs a big contract. If he wanted to push his way to the Raiders then, he could have. He took the offer. He took the sure thing. It's one thing to take the sure thing when there isn't another sure thing. When you have two sure things to choose from, you can say no thank you to the Packers. And the other thing, too, the Packers structure. They only guarantee money in the first year of the deal. There's no fully guaranteed money beyond year one. That is a flaw in their way of doing business. So it's not truly apples to apples. And the Packers offer was too little, too late. Well, it wasn't too little. It was too late because the Raiders were on the scene with a much better offer. So, hey, Sims and I talked about this the other day as it relates to Rodgers. I think the Packers did a great job of keeping Aaron Rodgers from realizing that they were going to let Devontae Adams leave until Rodgers made it clear that he wasn't. Because Rodgers said himself he didn't know that Devontae was leaving at the time he decided to stay, and you'll wonder if he makes a different decision if he knows Devontae Adams is leaving. Well, he he very well could have, Mike, because... (laughs) He's going to miss Devontae Adams. There is no question about that. When you look at the 123 catches, 1,500 yards, 11 touchdowns last season, I mean, this was a great receiver. Um, And I've talked a lot about the Tyreek Hill deal. I think that has a chance to be a lose-lose rather than as the Vikings did in trading Stephon Diggs. That was truly a win-win deal when they ended up with Justin Jefferson I think the Tyreek Hill deal could be a lose-lose because I think Tyreek Hill is going to miss Patrick Mahomes. Now, maybe he gets Tom Brady next year and it works out, but for this year, I think it could be a lose-lose because I think he's really going to miss Patrick Mahomes, and I think that the Chiefs are going to miss Tyreek Hill. 
On this deal, Mike, I think the Packers are going to miss Devontae Adams more than Devontae Adams is going to miss the Packers. I still think he's going to get his catches. Maybe he doesn't quite have 1,500 yards, but I think he's really still going to do great things with Derek Carr, even though Derek Carr is not Aaron Rodgers, and I don't think anybody would argue that he is. But I think he still will have really good numbers with the Raiders. But I think the Packers truly are going to miss Devontae Adams. If they had Devontae Adams, wouldn't we be talking about the Packers along with the Rams and the Bucks? Right now we're kind of saying, well, maybe it's the Packers. Maybe some of these receivers develop. We don't know. So if they had Devontae Adams, I think I would put them right there alongside the Rams and the Bucks as a contender, and they don't have him now. There's still people out there who insist that the Packers will be fine without Devontae Adams. And maybe they will. Maybe they, maybe they will, but that, that really downplays the significance of having the kind of receiver that you have to game plan against as a defense. You know, it's kind of the same narrative the Chiefs are using. We're going to spread the ball around more. Well, of course you will because you've lost your number one receiver, and the difference is you don't have a guy that's going to strike fear in the hearts of the defense. It's going to force the the coverage to be shifted toward him and open everything up for the other guys. It puts more pressure on the quarterback to spot the open man than if you know in a situation from the pre-snap look that Devontae Adams or Tyree Kill is going to be double covered and it's going to open something up on the other side of the field where you know someone's going to be in single coverage and they shake their guy at the line of scrimmage and they're open and that's that because they're only being covered by one man. It's that simple. It's going to be a challenge for the Packers, just like it's going to be a challenge for the Chiefs. There was a challenge for Devontae Adams yesterday in comparing his only NFL quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, to his college quarterback with whom he's been reunited in Derek Carr. Here's Devontae Adams tiptoeing through that minefield. I mean, it's tough to compare. It's, it's really apples and oranges. Um, Derek, Derek. I mean, it's just it's just such a different ball game. I mean, obviously you have Aaron, who's cemented as you know one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, and you know that's just like comparing me to like Jerry Rice. You know, it'd be tough to do because Jerry's put together what he's done, and it's it's undeniable respect for him. Um, and me, I'm still I'm still going, and there's still a lot that I got to do to be able to be mentioned with Jerry and I and I'm aware of that and I think Derek is also aware of that um, you know from a big picture but as far as talent and ability I mean it's really similar if you if, if I'm keeping it real Derek's arm strength and, and they throw the ball a lot different like Derek is going to fire it in there and you, you're going to know that things coming quick and Aaron's got the ability to just kind of tighten that core up and just flick the ball to you so the, the release is a lot different but being able to get the ball to you late, you know, if they see you coming out of a break, not many quarterbacks can get it to you before you get to the sideline, you know, if you're outside the numbers already. But having two guys like that with really strong arms and understand the game and, um, you know, the mental part of it is a, another similarity that they have is they both obsess over it and, and they know everything that's going on out there. I appreciate that response from Devontae Adams. It's very thoughtful, but at the same time, it creates the impression that Derek Carr is like in year two or three. He's been around since 2014. He was drafted the same year that Aaron Donald was, and Donald's been talking about retiring. Okay, so Derek Carr isn't the new kid on the block. Derek Carr is just the guy that that has reached a level where he's kind of just kind of stuck. Is he going to be a top 10, top five guy, or is he going to continue to be closer to middle of the pack, 
Chris Sims has him at number 11 on the top 40 quarterback countdown. He would have been in the top 10 if Tom Brady had retired, but he ends up at number 11. And, and you know, that's kind of where Carr is. And maybe Carr needs a Devontae Adams to bust into the top 10. Maybe that's what the message really should be. That Carr has a lot of the same skills. He just hasn't had the high-end receiving talent that Devontae Adams brings to town. Maybe that really is, at the core, the difference. It's not who the guy is. It's the quality of the help that he has around him. Well, but I hear I would argue that Aaron Rodgers is going to be great. Now, maybe he's not going to be as great without Devontae Adams. But it's just like Tom Brady. When you, when you think about Josh McDaniel, Josh McDaniel had Tom Brady in New England. The best receiver that he had there was Randy Moss the year that Brady threw 50 touchdowns, I think it was, set the NFL record. Randy Moss was great that year. But this is the best receiver that Josh McDaniel has had since Randy Moss. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to watch. It's certainly the best receiver that Derek Carr has had. Um, and, and Aaron Rodgers is going to miss him. But I think Aaron Rodgers will still be okay because he's Aaron Rodgers. He's still going to get the Packers to the playoffs, not to mention that they're in the NFC North. But the Packers are still going to be there. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to have at least a chance to go to a Super Bowl. I don't know about the Raiders. It all comes down to Derek Carr. And as you said, Mike, this isn't a guy who's in his second. We're not talking about Justin Herbert, who's going to his third year, who's never played a playoff game. Derek Carr played his first playoff game this past year. First, hasn't won a playoff game. There aren't many quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks in this league, who get this long without taking their team to the playoffs, without winning a playoff game. I, I It's been a long time since we've seen a guy keep his job without winning a playoff game, hasn't it? I mean, that's that's amazing to me that he's still the quarterback of the Raiders and yet hasn't won a playoff game as long as he's been there. You're going to get blocked on Twitter by Derek Carr and by everyone in his family. That's what I've learned. Well, maybe, he, maybe it is a receiver, though. You, Maybe it is. When, when, De- when, when Derek Carr blocks you, his whole family blocks you <laughs> simultaneously. But uh, I, I think that that it may be that Derek Carr has been the the bright light in a sea of dysfunction in an organization. Maybe. We've heard story after story about how they can't get their act together in the front office, and we talked yesterday about how the last regime. John Gruden and Mike Mayock were lukewarm at best on Derek Carr. Every year, Mayock talking about, well, we looked to upgrade every position, including quarterback. I mean, at some point, you've got to say, this is our guy. And I think that's what the Raiders are doing, at least for a year. They're going to try this all in with Derek Carr, and I think it's going to last more than a year, even though the contract is structured to let them walk away after one season. I don't think they will. They wouldn't have traded for Devontae Adams if they weren't committed to Derek Carr. I think it's an effort to try to let Derek Carr finally flourish. Even if it is year nine, not year three, they want him to flourish and maybe get to the playoffs and actually win a playoff game. They all think they gave the Bengals everything they could handle in the wild card round, and the Bengals made it all the way to the Super Bowl. Another example of how the margins are so slim when you get to the postseason and anyone can win any given game. I would have liked to have heard Devontae Adams comment on the differences in the personalities between Carr and Rodgers. Because, look, I mean, the Carr, Carr comes off as kind of hokey. They, the, the one thing they have in common is the fake country accent that pops out from time to time without warning. 
But Rogers is more aloof. Rogers is more distant. Yeah. Rogers is more private. And I don't care what anyone says. It's obvious to me that Rogers did not have a good feel for the mindset of Devontae Adams before Rogers committed to staying with the Packers, or he would have known that this is it, that Devontae Adams wants to go back to Las Vegas. This isn't something that just came out of the blue that he's been hiding for eight years. Again, if Aaron Rodgers is as smart as he thinks he is, and as everyone else seems to believe he is, he would have sensed something from Devontae Adams over the last eight years to suggest, you know, at some point, probably have to worry about him wanting to go play for the Raiders. It's probably something we need to put on the radar screen. I think he wants to play for the Raiders at some point. He talks way too much about the Raiders and Las Vegas, and, you know, he, he really likes Derek Carr, and we just need to be sensitive to this. I, I, I think he was, he was caught off guard by what happened, and it's a testament to the absence of a true personal relationship with Devontae Adams. Hey, he has one with Randall Cobb. He was able to get Randall Cobb back. Randall Cobb's his buddy. I just get the impression that maybe he and Devontae Adams never had the kind of connection that Adams and Carr established fairly immediately at Fresno State. And I think I saw a story not that long ago where it was during Devontae Adams' recruiting that he and Derek Carr clicked and became basically lifelong friends. Well, and he's going to help Derek Carr, no question about that. And he is going to help him become a better quarterback. At, at some point, though, Carr is going to have to, to make some plays to receivers other than Devontae Adams and do some things uh, to show that he is a top-ten quarterback, Mike. And, and it, Sims has him, like, right there. But he needs to take that next step, and he hasn't done it. He has a chance to do it now. And as you said – I agree with you. I think it's more than a year. I think he, he's got a couple of years now to, to get it done. But he is running out of time. I mean, let's make no mistake about that. He is running out of time to get this done. And they feel like they've put the coaching staff around him. And now they put the players around him. And I think they give him two years to prove that he can lead this team to a Super Bowl. And it's going to be hard, regardless of, of whatever else, playing in that division against all those other quarterbacks and all those other teams who, by the way, have upgraded aside from the Chiefs, also upgraded this offseason aside from the Chiefs, this is a tough division. And it's going to be tough for them even to win the division, much less win a Super Bowl in the next two years. I think more than any other division in football this year, and maybe in any year that I can remember in recent years, and I'm 57 now, I can't remember many years, Injuries will be the factor that determines who wins the AFC West. I mean, we can get on the hype train for any of the four teams. You can make the case for the Chiefs, the Broncos, the Chargers, the Raiders. The great, not equalizer, but the great difference maker is going to be that injury that happens to the wrong player at the wrong time that, that causes a team to lose the game, that causes them to be disqualified from playoff contention it, it's a shame that it's going to come down to that and if it doesn't come down to injuries it's going to come down to bad call or the flip side the good call benefiting from the bad call or just some fluke thing right it's just going to be some fluke thing that makes the difference because the teams are more packed together than they are in any division in football yeah, and, and as you said, Mike, maybe in the history of football, I mean, I, I can't remember a division that had this many great players in it and, and four really good quarterbacks in it, and, and they do. And it's going to be fun to watch these teams play. I mean, we could have these 
teams playing each other as primetime games all year long, and I think everyone would watch. And it's going to be exciting. It's, it's a great division. Whoever wins that division, I, I don't even know that they'll get home field advantage, Mike, because I think they're going to beat each other up so much. That's going to be the thing is they're probably the winner of that division is still going to have to go on the road to get to the Super Bowl which is going to make it a little bit harder. Just winning the division and then having to go on the road could be really difficult for that team to end up in the Super Bowl because I do think they're going to beat up each other a lot. Well, one of the reasons why the Titans was the one seed last year because they were coming out of the weakest division yeah. in the conference and it was easier for them right. to pile up the wins necessary to be that one seed. Uh, once upon a time, and not really that long ago, the NFC West was the best division in football. It has seen an exodus yeah. of talent. The Seahawks suffering it more than anyone with the loss of their franchise quarterback, Russell Wilson, via trade to the Broncos. They still have DK Metcalf under contract, and by all appearances, things were working smoothly because DK Metcalf was involved in off-season workouts. Then comes mandatory minicamp, and there's no DK Metcalf. Pete Carroll, coach of the Seahawks, was asked on Thursday about the absence of DK Metcalf from the team's mandatory minicamp. Here's Carroll. What do you make of DK not showing up? Uh, decision that he, you know, he had to make, and uh, you know, we missed him. Uh, he he had done a nice job and contributing, being part of everything that we we had done, and then you know he he just he's not here. So I I can't say much for what he hasn't done here, but um, we'd love to have him with us. Um, there's been conversations, uh, some, and um, we're in a pretty kind of a standard, you know, kind of some semi quiet right now, um, knowing the camp's coming up. Um, these are cru crucial weeks to, to get something done. We'll see what happens and, and, uh, and hope, hope that we can work something out. We really intended to get that done. I had hope that he might come in and, and because he, he was still in a rehab phase, you know, that uh, he wouldn't be able to do all of the work um, that he would have been here would have been good for us. And so, unfortunately, he wasn't here. Pete Carroll also declined to comment on whether or not DK Metcalf would be fined. It's up to roughly $100,000 if you skip all three days of the mandatory minicamp. But he's sending a message. It's obvious. Look, we've seen what guys have gotten paid. The market has changed dramatically for receivers, and the Seahawks are going to have to figure this out. Uh, and, and for Metcalf especially, look, if I'm him, I've got a couple of concerns. Number one, I'm entering a contract year with a very muddled quarterback situation that may impact my performance, my ability to lay the foundation if I would get to the open market next year or get franchise tagged and maybe someone would or wouldn't trade for me, my value is going to be perceived as less than it would be now. And do you plan to, to use me more creatively in the offense? That's something Sims has been talking about for years, and he's right on the money. It's just go run your route and get open. That's how you get the ball in your hands. They don't have the creativity in their scheme Jet sweeps, bubble screens, put him in the backfield. I mean, my God, the guy, the guy, the guy can do what Debo does. He's bigger than Debo, so uh, I, I, ju I just think that he needs to know if they're if they're not going to take care of him financially. He needs to know that he's going to be in a position to have the kind of year that allows him to get a market contract next year. So it's not an easy one for either side because from the Seahawks' perspective. Why are they going to pay the guy a ton of money unless they really are committed to using him in a more diverse and creative way? Don't you 
think these receivers deals are, are so interesting, Mike, the way they've skyrocketed and taken off now. I think we have 10 receivers now over at 20 million or more, uh, and seven of those have come this offseason. And then we have all these guys coming in from the college ranks who step right in and perform right away. And I remember back when Randy Moss came to the league, he was really the first guy in his rookie season who had played so great right off the bat because receivers, it was always the thing, oh, receivers need a year or two. You know, they just, they aren't groomed, you know, in college and they need that year or two of experience to really catch. And they did all of them, except for Randy Moss. And now you're seeing these guys just walk in, step up and become the best receivers in the we saw it with Justin Jefferson, we saw it with Jamar Chase, we've seen it with so many receivers just right away. They're really good. So it's interesting for teams to have to make these decisions on do we pay a guy or do we go out and get one of these guys who we feel like can step right in and become a great receiver right off the bat? And they have. So that to me is where Seattle is. Is DK Metcalf worth the 20 plus, probably 25 million a year that you're going to have to pay him? Or do you just go back in the, you're not going to be very good this year. Do you just go back in the draft and find your receivers in the draft? That's, that's kind of to me where they are. And, and that's the kind of objective, dispassionate, cold, dehumanizing analysis that teams engage in all the time. What does yeah. it cost me? to keep the guy I have how much will it cost me to replace him I will have a lesser player but dollar for dollar it may be a better value and then I can reallocate the resources to some other position I can go draft three receivers and just let them battle it out let them compete and see who emerges as the best guy that's really the challenge for the Seahawks so yeah there's a lot of factors that go into it and and I think that that the the pressure point for where the Seahawks really are right now. Are they rebuilding or are they reloading? I think Pete Carroll believes they're reloading, and I think John Schneider is more along the lines of, let's be realistic. Let's be self-aware. We're not as good as we were. It's going to take some time to get back to where we want to be. And I, I hope, kind of, I like a good drama, I, I hope that Pete Carroll isn't being influenced by an obsession to prove Russell Wilson wrong, that we can do this my way. Russell Wilson wanted the offense to run through him. I got a system that works. I have a philosophy for football that works. It's play good defense. It's run the football. It's pass when you've softened up the defense with the running game. It's not have this high-flying offense that, that – yeah, almost like the run-and-shoot was, right? And he looks down his nose at that. That's not real football. And he wants to prove that he can win his way with his guys. And and DK Metcalf is clearly one of his guys. I just think that's where the tension is, that maybe they'd be better off in the long run if they traded DK Metcalf. But I think yeah. Pete Carroll recognizes they're going to be the best they can be if they keep him around, even if they aren't as good as maybe they would be in the not-too-distant future if they'd trade him. Oh, I think that's exactly it, Mike. And, and I was going to say, if, if I was the Seahawks, I would look realistically at my roster and go, you know what, this roster is not that good. We need to draft a quarterback next year when the quarterback draft looks pretty good. 
So let's just, let's trade DK Metcalf. Let's get what we can get for him. Let's get a first round draft pick, hopefully for him. We'll have extra first round draft pick next year and we'll have a chance to get us a really good quarterback and start the rebuild process. But when you look at Pete Carroll's age at 70, he doesn't want to rebuild and he thinks he has a good roster, at least based on what he said. He thinks he has a good quarterback or two good quarterbacks. And I go back to the, if you have two good quarterbacks, you don't have a good quarterback. And I don't think they have a good quarterback. And I don't think they're going to be very good this year. I think they would be better served trading DK Metcalf, but I don't think that happens. I do think they sign him to a long-term deal. And I'm not sure that's the right thing for DK Metcalf. And I'm not sure that's the right thing for the Seattle Seahawks. You know the best thing about being 70? What? You'll get there. I'm not there there yet. You'll get there three months before I do. <laughs> true. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, good point. <laughs> we got some mailbag questions on this Friday edition of PFT Live. We'll answer them as best we can when we continue right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. It's a little mailbag time on this Friday edition of PFT Live as I scroll down to the right spot on the outline so I can actually get to the first question. The first one comes from our good friend at PFTPM Posse, who is a Cowboys fan, and it's good that we have someone who knows the Cowboys very well on the program today. Can you give Cowboys fans a reason, just one if you can even get to one, to be optimistic (laughs) about the Cowboys for the coming season? Shireen, I will defer to you on this very important question of whether there's any reason to have hope for the Dallas Cowboys. Well, first, Mike, I'll start with PFT and Posse, who must be from Texas because it's y'all, not you, as you read. You misread. It is y'all. So I I think he's from Texas, but we know he's a Cowboys fan, right? Um, I'll give you three, actually. They have the best quarterback in the division. I don't know if they have the best roster. I think the Eagles have the best roster, but I think the Cowboys have the best quarterback in the division, which always gives you a chance. Micah Parsons. I mean... Perhaps the best rookie season ever by a defensive player. Just outstanding uh, rookie season. Uh, finished in the top three in, in defensive player of the year voting. And he's already established himself as one of the best defensive players in football. I think that's a positive. And then getting Dane Quinn back as your defensive coordinator because he made such a big difference with that defense last year. He's going to continue to do that this year. So those are the three reasons, I think, for optimism. Again, when I look at the NFC East, I still think the Eagles have the best roster, but the Cowboys have the best quarterback, so that's going to give them a chance to win that division. Yeah, look, I agree with you, too. And in year two for Micah Parsons, he could be dramatically better. Year two of Dan Quinn running the defense presumably will be better. And it's not like they were the 85 Bears last year. It was very good in comparison to what a crap show it was the year before under Mike Nolan. Their defense still statistically was not good last year, but it was much better than it had been. And with Micah Parsons developing in one of the 
best young talents in the NFL, if not one of the best defensive players, depending upon his trajectory in year two, that is cause for optimism. So I'm with you, but I also agree with you that the Eagles have the better roster currently, and the Eagles have done more to try to improve the team this year than the Cowboys have. And, and, and I know the Cowboys are handcuffed by the salary cap, but you see what the Rams do. You see every year the Saints exactly. who are in cap hell. Mickey Loomis starts waving his cap wand around, and the next thing you know, everything's fine again. I, I, I don't know why the Cowboys weren't able to, to solve whatever cap issues were supposedly keeping them from doing whatever they needed to do. And I wonder, Shereen, in hindsight, when you look at what's happened with the receiver market, do you think they regret not keeping Amari Cooper and paying him $20 million? I think they will once the season begins because now that looks like something of a bargain based on what's happened this offseason. But the fact that they didn't get enough for him when you look at some of the trades because they got a fifth-round draft pick for Amari Cooper. To me, that wasn't enough to get for him. Now, I realize they, were, they had a deadline they had to, to, to meet to get that done. But some way you have to work that out where you can get more than a fifth-round draft pick for Amari Cooper or you keep him on your roster. And, yeah, I, I think Cowboys fans expected the Cowboys and Jerry Jones to do what the Rams have done to figure out, to pay all these guys. And you got to have cash on hand to do that. Jerry Jones has cash on hand. But as I've said for a long time, People think Jerry Jones spends a lot of money. Jerry Jones spends a lot of money on things that he really wants to spend money on. Yachts, helicopters, those sorts of things. When Jerry Jones doesn't want to spend money, he doesn't spend money. And this is a team that hasn't spent big money on players outside of their own organization. Players that they drafted since Brandon Carr. And I can't imagine that Brandon Carr has scarred them that much in his $50 million deal that he didn't live up to that they just never go out in free agency and sign that big draft pick, but they haven't since Brandon Carr. I mean, go look it up, the biggest free agent they've signed since Brandon Carr. There haven't been there hasn't been one. I mean, we don't talk about the Cowboys in free agency that first week of free agency because they don't sign anybody. It's amazing. But I've heard Jerry say time and again, and my Jerry Jones impersonation isn't nearly as good as it could be, but along the lines of you would be very surprised at the size of the check I would write if it would guarantee me a Super Bowl. He created this impression that he'll spend, 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 spend. But you're right. You're right. It may just be all talk. It may be huckstering. It may be creating the impression that without a salary cap, he would go buy every player with a salary cap. And with a salary cap, it is very flexible and malleable and allows every other team to go out and buy expensive players. Why aren't they? going out there and paying top dollar to these guys on the open market. And I'm not saying that that is the magic formula to winning a Super Bowl. Maybe they've just decided the best way to get there is the way the old school Cowboys did, pre-free agency, the Cowboys of our youth, who remember there was a time when the Cowboys and the Steelers were completely built of their own. Now, it's not like you had free agency, but still, guys moved around. Guys were cut. Guys were traded. The Cowboys and the Steelers were exclusively constructed of guys they had drafted and developed. Remember, running back Preston Pearson was the one exception at one point. He went from the Steelers to the Cowboys. Other than that, it was all homegrown talent. I I just, I feel like they've strategically decided that this is what we're going to do, that there's too much risk in giving big money to someone we don't know. 
Yeah, they had the Dirty Dozen, the 12 rookies who made the roster in 1975 and went to the Super Bowl and lost the Steelers in that Super Bowl. And they did build, of course, most teams did Why? back then. Why? But, no, but it was this is completely uncalled for. We're not talking about Drew Pearson pushing off Nate Wright today. <laughs> I didn't wander in the direction of it. It's his I, birthday week. This is week. bull crap. Wow. All right, go ahead. Wow, it's his birthday week. But, yeah, my, I do think that's what they've decided is we draft very, very well, and they have. It's hard to argue that they haven't drafted well for the most part. Second-round picks, maybe not so much. But they have drafted pretty darn well, and, and I think they've just decided that that's the route they're going to go and take care when it comes time to write those checks that Jerry talks about, that they're going to write those checks to their own players and keep their own players. Of course, it didn't work out so well with Randy Gregory. I mean, he went to the Broncos. So, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work, but I do think you've got to supplement in this day and age. I do think you have to supplement your roster with some free agents who can help you or with some trades that can help you. And I just don't know that they've done that this offseason. James Washington, Dante Fowler, they just don't do much for me. Uh, based on what their roster was last season to this season, I don't think it looks better I think it looks worse maybe not dramatically worse but I do think they're worse than they ended the season last year and and look they need to hold some cap money back because they're going to be back at the table with Dak Prescott before they know it that contract they did four years 160 million a a glorified band-aid deal and they're going to have to get him re-signed to a market level deal sooner rather than later or move on from him which I don't think they want to do Neil watches PFT asks which Patriots offshoot has a better record in 2022, the Patriots, the Raiders, or the Texans. And obviously, Josh McDaniels, now the coach of the Raiders, and Dave Ziegler, former Patriots executive, now the GM. Josh McDaniels there. And why am I blanking on Nick Casario's name? I'm not now. It came to me, Nick Casario and also Jack Easterby in Houston. Which of those three teams has the best record? I think we can cross the Texans off. I think it comes down to the Patriots or the Raiders, Shereen. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Raiders, Mike. And despite them playing in the hardest division in football, I just think they're the the best team of those three. Have the veteran quarterback, now have Devontae Adams. I think it's going to be the Raiders or the Patriots, and I I think the Raiders end up with the better record. I, I want to say the Patriots, but, boy, what an experiment this year to all of a sudden have Bill Belichick heavily involved in the offense and Matt Patricia, longtime defensive coordinator, potentially in the Chris Sims leader house to call plays offensively for the Patriots this year. Their division isn't easy either. I'll agree with you that I think the Raiders will have the better record and the best record of those three teams. MK Rodick, which team is getting overhyped right now? There's always one every year that completely falls flat. Shereen, do you have one that you think is maybe getting a little too much hype? Yeah, and I saw this question in here before we started, and I started running through my mind, who is it? Because he's right. There's always one who who is overhyped. The fact is, the four teams that we keep talking about in the AFC West, they're all really good. The chances of all four of those teams making the postseason are really not very good. So... I think I'm going to go, it's either the Broncos or the Chargers for me. And the Chargers, again, they haven't gotten it done for as much as we, we hype Justin Herbert. He hasn't gotten to the postseason yet. And Joe Burrow obviously 
did, got his team to the Super Bowl. So I think there's a lot of pressure on Justin Herbert this year. But I think I'm going to go with the Broncos, that, that they're going to be the team that's overhyped, that doesn't get it done. Because when you look at their roster and what they have, you would think they're going to contend for the division title. And I'm going to say they're not going to win that division and maybe not even make the postseason. And, you know, the Broncos were the team I thought of, too, when I went through, in my mind, the grid of the 32 teams in the two conferences and the eight divisions because of the difficulty degree of the AFC West. And they're the one team in the division with a new head coach. You got a lot of new there. You got a new head coach and a new – well, Josh McDaniels, too. But you got a new coach and a new quarterback. So I I think that those two combined create a real challenge. The the level of the competition – and just the fact that, you know, yeah, they're going to have an owner and that's going to give them a little bit of a boost, but it's not like Rob Walton and Greg Penner are going to come in right away and, and make the kind of changes that will dramatically improve the team. I think it's good for the Broncos over the long haul to have an owner again instead of a trust that runs the team. But I look, as much as I am a Russell Wilson fan, I think he has dipped a little bit in recent years, or maybe it's that others have passed him by. I don't think he has the mobility that he used to have. And I think to the extent that he thinks he's going to show up in Patrick Mahomes' division and match Patrick Mahomes blow for blow, throw for throw, run for run, I'll believe it when I see it. I just, you know, this whole thing about Russell Wilson wanting the offense to run through him and the Seahawks would never do it, it's going to be a great experiment as to whether or not it works with Russell Wilson as the centerpiece of the offense. But I just think there's too much other competition in the division for the Broncos. And look at all the standalone games they have this year. They've gotten the most hype based upon the schedule makers. They believe in the Broncos. They got a ton of primetime and standalone games. They're going to have to deliver, and I think we may be expecting a little bit too much for the Broncos. Not that they're going to be horrible, but I don't think they're going to be as great as, as so many people think. Over-under wins for Miami. This comes from Antonelli Dean. The current over-under is 8.5. Are you above or are you below the points bet projected total of 8.5? I'm over, Mike. I'm going nine. I think that the Dolphins are going to be right there in the division, uh, right behind the Bills, and I think they're going to make the post. I think they'll be that team outside uh, of the North to uh, of the West to make the postseason. Um, and I do think they'll come out of that division. But it all goes back to Tua. We just talked about. I mean, it, it, if Tua plays like he's played over the last two years, they're they're not going to get there. They're they're not. But they, you know. We look at Brian Flores and what he did the last two years. He got them the wins. He didn't get them in the postseason. So maybe they have to win one more than that. Maybe they have to get to 10 or 11 uh, to get into the postseason. But they've certainly got an easier schedule, I think, than those teams in the West have. Um, I agree with you. I think that they will be over. And the question is, will they – win more than eight and a half games because of Tua or in spite of Tua? In spite. That's really going to be the question. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, if the Dolphins make the playoffs, does that guarantee Tua 2023? Or will the question be, how much better could we have been if we had somebody else at quarterback? And the Dolphins are going to be, I believe, the most attractive team in 2023 for a veteran quarterback looking for a new home. Whether it's Tom Brady or Lamar Jackson or anyone else that has a wandering eye after this season, is going to have to show that he's a reason why the team is good, that they're good because of him, not in spite of him. But I think they will be good. I'm all in with Mike McDaniel. So I, I definitely think that that 
is uh, a low eight and a half. I go higher, and I think the the Dolphins will not only be on the right side of 500 this year, but also in the playoffs. All right, a couple of questions we're going to combine together. Basically, and let's focus more on the Stephen Ross investigation. I'll focus on the Dr. J144 question here. Neil Watch's PFT had a had a similar inquiry. Why is the investigation regarding Stephen Ross taking so long? He either said it or he didn't, and there's a witness unless there isn't. Um, let, let me try this one first because I wrote about this recently. Yeah. Roger Goodell was asked about Stephen Ross a couple of weeks ago at his press conference following the quarterly meetings. No update. Mary Jo White is investigating. And it really shouldn't take that much time. And I'm told that Brian Flores fully cooperated in April, even though he's got the pending litigation, fully cooperated with the investigation into whether or not Stephen Ross offered Flores $100,000 per loss in 2019 in order to have a sufficiently bad record so they'd get Joe Burrow with the first overall pick in 2020. And this should be fairly easy, right? What does Flores say? What are his allegations? When was it said? How was it said? Who was present? You talk to the witnesses. It was NFL Network, owned by the league, partially owned by the Dolphins. Cameron Wolf reported there is a person who witnessed what Stephen Ross said, unnamed witness. Well, they should be able to figure out who it is. You ask Flores. And you try to figure it all out, and then you ask Ross. It shouldn't take that much time. Shereen, I think what's going to happen is they're going to find that he was joking when he said it, that the offer was not made seriously, it was not made in jest, it wasn't reduced to writing. They're going to come up with some cockamamie excuse for letting Stephen Ross off the hook because if you fry Stephen Ross for this, you create all sorts of other problems for the league. You're exposing The world to the idea that you have corruption in your ranks at a time when Congress is already aggressively pursuing the Washington commander's investigation and the cover-up of the aftermath of that. And you're opening yourself up to civil liability, a class action lawsuit from anyone who bet on the Dolphins in 2019. If you come out and say, he did this, he committed an affront to the integrity of the game by offering his coach $100,000 per loss by wanting to lose games, by wanting to throw games. And you also open the door for a prosecutor to come in and start charging people under the Sports Bribery Act. So I think Mary Jo White, who is very good at giving the NFL what they want or she wouldn't keep getting these assignments, is going to give the NFL what it wants. And that is some sort of a path through the weeds to get to the point where the end result is Stephen Ross did nothing wrong. Okay, and Mike, there's there's another part of this too, the Brian Flores lawsuit. So how does that play into the Brian Flores lawsuits? In other words, if they come out and say, yes, absolutely, he talked about tanking, we have a witness, doesn't that then Brian Flores is, you know, that plays into the lawsuit, right? Absolutely. They're not going to want to help Brian Flores make his case against the Dolphins. That's an excellent point. However, however... To the extent that the Brian Flores lawsuit is also an effort to expose and redress systemic racism in the NFL, if there's a way you can say, hey, look, it had nothing to do with race. It was all about this $100,000 offer that he refused to accept that that's what caused him to fall out of favor. That actually helps the league in a roundabout way. But generally speaking, they're not going to want to find anything that would make it easier for Flores to win his case. So between the Flores case, the possibility of a class action, 
brought by anyone who placed a legal wager on the Dolphins and possibly setting Stephen Ross up for a perp walk and having Congress open a new front in this war against the NFL, they gain nothing, nothing by finding that Stephen Ross in some way was trying to throw games at the cost of $100,000 each. Last question, very important. How did this make it on here? Stan Germ. Is Florio the smartest hillbilly to ever come out of West Virginia? I am saying yes. Uh, I, uh, Matt Casey calls it a compliment. No, it's, a, it's an insult to all of my, my fellow West Virginians. People think that we're a bunch of inbred hillbilly rednecks. And if you came here and if you lived here, you would realize that's not the case. But I don't want more people coming here and living here. I like it the way it is. Stay out. Go ahead and think of us what you will if it means you stay out. Shireen, that's my official position. Although you're welcome. Favorite West Virginians. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I have two favorite West Virginians, Mike Florio and Jimbo Fisher. So I am on team Jimbo Fisher, too. He's from West Virginia. But not Nick Saban. Not Nick Saban, though. Not Nick Saban. (laughs) They are literally from towns that are 20 miles apart. And Rich Rodriguez is from this neck of the woods, too. It really is amazing to think there was a time not that long ago where three of the best college football coaches. We're from, like, this little Bermuda Triangle in West Virginia. All right, let's take a break. Uh, The aftermath of the unfortunate comments made earlier this week by Jack Del Rio. We'll discuss that when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Washington Commanders Defensive Coordinator Jack Del Rio calling the January 6th insurrection a dust-up earlier this week and also making the false equivalence to the riots that happened in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd and others. Multiple examples of police violence directed to minorities in 2020 and the organic reaction to that. The president of the NAACP said yesterday it's time for Del Rio to resign or be fired. And we kicked this around in a lengthy discussion yesterday, Shireen, whether or not it's fair to ask that basic question. Will the Washington Commanders, a team like every other NFL team that constantly makes employment decisions about players based upon the best interest of the team in the offseason when there are 90 on the roster, it seems like every day there's a guy that gets cut and a guy that gets signed. Guys are being terminated all the time. They'll go from 90 to 53 before week one. Best interest of the team. Best interest of the team. You could make the argument it's in the best interest of the team to move on from Jack Del Rio when you consider all things. Number one, he's not Vince Lombardi or Bill Belichick, all due respect. Number two, you've got an impact on your stadium funding situation where the bill is now dead. And one of the senators in Virginia said that Del Rio's comments were the final nail in the coffin. And number three, you may have you may have an issue in the locker room, although uh, we're going to play some sound here in a second that that suggests otherwise. But how, how, how can you not have some guys at least wondering about that Jack Del Rio after he made those comments, Shereen? Well, and that's been the biggest thing to me, Mike, because two things. First, Washington knew what it was getting when it hired Jack Del Rio. I mean, he's never hidden his stance on things. We talked about the 90-10 w- with Tom Brady. 
Jack Del Rio is not afraid of conflict. He puts it out there. He uses his Twitter account probably way more than any of his teams ever would like him to use it, but he does use it. You know exactly where Jack Del Rio stands, which is the only reason that he was asked about the hearings that are go- that went on yesterday is because of his stance. That's the only reason he was asked, because of things he has put out there on Twitter. Nobody else in the NFL that I know of was asked those questions this week in media availabilities, but he was simply because he's put it out there about how he feels. That's the first thing. So they knew what they were getting when they hired him. And the second thing is, that's the deal. We've heard so many people call for his ouster, including former players have have criticized him big time. Some of his own former players have criticized him big time. We haven't heard a single player on that defense yet, and maybe they will, but they haven't yet come out and disagreed with anything that Jack Del Rio said or said, I've had a conversation with Jack Del Rio or any of those things. We've seen none of that so far. So to me, unless some of those players start to bicker about Jack Del Rio, I don't think they're going to make a move to oust Jack Del Rio. One player who spoke out on the issue did not complain about what Del Rio had to say. Here's Jonathan Allen from earlier this week on Del Rio's comments. This is a tough one, so forgive me, but i got to ask. Um, Jack Del Rio, defense coordinator, has been pretty active on his Twitter lately. Yeah. Some political stuff that kind of runs counter to a lot of what players have said. Yeah. Does any of that make news in the locker room? Uh, Not really, to be honest with you. Me, personally, I stay away from it. I've heard about it, but I don't get on specifically so I don't have to really answer questions because I really don't know. But in, in, my, in my opinion, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Some guys ch- decide to share it on Twitter. Some guys don't. It doesn't make one person better than the other. And at the end of the day, you can have a difference in opinion and still respect one another. I mean, I feel like that's what our country is about. That's what our team's about. So, I mean, me personally, I don't care about his opinion. His opinion, as long as he shows up every day and he works hard, I mean, that's what I want for my defensive coordinator. And look, I have no problem with that in concept. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. But as we said yesterday, you're not entitled to your own facts. We can have a debate about whether or not the world is round or the world is flat. And that is the equivalent of having a debate about whether or not there was an insurrection or a dust up at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. And if you watched any, some or all of last night's hearing with an open mind and a functioning brain, you recognize that it was hardly a dust up. And, uh, And the other side of it, too, it's kind of hard for the players to speak out publicly. This is more about something they'd handle among themselves and talk about among themselves as to whether or not they have a problem. Maybe approach Ron Rivera and say, look, you know, we're not going to air out the dirty laundry publicly, but privately, this is maybe something we need to deal with. Well, and they all have leadership councils. Most teams do. I assume that the captains and maybe some other players are on a leadership council for for the team. And that's where this needs to be addressed. And it does need to be addressed, Mike. Whether whether they don't care about what he said or they have fierce uh, disagreement with what Jack Del Rio said, it does need to be discussed within the team, I think, and at least within the leadership council by Ron Rivera to see where they stand on this. And I'm sure that's happening, as you said. There will be some players who talk about this. If they're against what Jack Del Rio said, we're going to hear something uh, from some of these players at some point if they are against it.
I suspect that Ron Rivera has been working feverishly to put out the fire to the extent there is one. I think the apology from Jack Del Rio on Wednesday was something that he was told in no uncertain terms. I don't know this, but I think he was told you either post this apology or you pack your stuff and get out of here. So uh, we'll see where it goes, whether or not between the end of the offseason program and the start of training camp. We have a change in defensive coordinator. That's up to I'm not calling for it. That's their decision. They have to make that decision. But if they do, it, it won't really uh, surprise me at all. Let's take a break. A little game of which doesn't belong and why when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. I'm preparing to be the starter. I, I feel like no matter what position you're in, that's what you should prepare like. So we're all pushing each other. We're all competing every day. Um, like like you said, I wouldn't read too much into it, but um, it's I'm, I'm getting a lot of good reps. I feel really comfortable in the offense. So I like where we're at right now, and, I'm, and I feel very confident. Mitchell Trubisky from second overall pick in the draft to clinging to the starting position in Pittsburgh. He signed as a free agent. Kenny Pickett is there. It's a one-round game of which doesn't belong and why. Trubisky, Geno Smith, Sam Darnold. Veteran quarterbacks trying to hold on to a starting job, which doesn't belong and why. I'm going with Sam Darnold, Mike, because it seems like to me the Panthers are still trying to replace him, and I'm go- still going to be surprised if they don't end up trading for Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield before this thing's said and done. <clears throat> but the Seahawks seem comfortable with Drew Locke or Geno Smith. The Steelers seem comfortable with Mitchell Trubisky, at least for this year, or maybe Mason Rudolph, however that works out. But Sam Darnold, they seem like still to me that they want to replace him this year, Mike. You know, I agree with you. It just comes down to whether or not they have an opportunity to do it but the Seahawks want to keep Geno Smith the Steelers want to keep Mitchell Trubisky even if they don't win the starting job they want them I feel like the Panthers would love to shed the 18.8 million dollar obligation to Sam Darnold and the NFL is going to make its decisions whenever it makes its decisions and the Browns have no real right to clamor for the league to make a fast decision because they did this deal they signed on to this predicament in which they now find themselves with Deshaun Watson but if they know that Watson didn't play in this year I think you offer Baker Mayfield for Sam Darnold straight up straight up 18.8 million equal salary identical swap them Darnold becomes the quarterback of the Browns for 2022 and Mayfield goes to Carolina it makes too much sense to not happen yeah Oh, and, and that would, I think that would be great for both teams. It would be a win for Baker Mayfield to go get a chance to start and play and do what he does, and Sam Darnold would get a year to prove that he's the guy. So, yes, that tr- a trade right there, Mike, would, would just make a ton of sense. We have a draft for you on this Friday edition of PFT Live. We're going to take a look at the players under the most pressure as the 2022 season approaches. We'll do that next. For me, I, I don't try to put too much pressure on myself. Uh, I always have high expectations for myself and for, for the offense, um, but I don't try and play this those types of games. You know, there's there's no I don't have enough mental space to kind of process all that. It can wear on you. So for me, uh, I just show up to try and be the best I can be. Go home and be the best I can be as a, as a father and as a husband. Um, come back and do it again. Carson Wentz. 
feeling no pressure, so he says. He's down to his last chance. If it doesn't work for him in Washington, he enters the clipboard-holding phase of his career, and I'm not sure he's wired to be anybody's full-time backup. So, with that said, a look at the players under the most pressure as the 2022 season approaches. It'll be here before we know it. Shereen, you've got the first pick. Wow, thanks, Mike. I, You know, I started this list, and I think we could probably have about 15 players on this list, all quarterbacks, because they're all under pressure. There's so many of them under pressure that could be in their last year as starters or the last year with their team or they're in their last year with their current uh, under the current contract. But I'm going to steal Lamar Jackson from you, and I'm going to – you know, he won't engage with the Ravens, and they want to sign him to a long-term deal. He probably wants something, and will get something around Deshaun Watson's uh, deal. He has no agent, as we know, so this is holding things up. But whether he gets his deal or not this year, and, and it looks like he's not going to play, he's going to play under his current deal and not uh, engage with the Ravens, he's 1-3 in the postseason, Mike. And it's been three years since he won that MVP award, so he's under pressure, in, in my mind, to produce, whether he gets a contract or not, to show that he can win in the postseason, to show that he can lead this team uh, to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl, because he hasn't shown that yet. So I just think he's under immense pressure for the contract reason and for the reason that he has not been successful in the postseason yet. As you were setting up your pick, I thought you were going in a different direction, but then I remembered you won't do it because the guy went to Texas A&M. Ryan Tannehill is my first pick, a guy who beat Lamar Jackson in the postseason a few years ago, but a guy who struggled with three interceptions. They drafted Malik Willis. Do they really want Ryan Tannehill over the long haul? What does he need to do this year to prove that the job is still his? So with Malik Willis hovering with the memory of the playoff flame out still fresh in his mind, I think he's under a lot of pressure. All right, next round. I'm going to go with the guy who started his career at Texas A&M and then went to Oklahoma and won a Heisman Trophy, and that's Kyler Murray. We know he wants a new deal, scrubbed his social media, all those things this offseason. But, Mike, whether he gets that new deal or not, he's under a ton of pressure. The last game in our memory of Kyler Murray is the worst game of his career. 40.9 passer rating, 137 yards, no, no touchdowns and two interceptions against the Rams. Another guy who hasn't won in the postseason, two Pro Bowls in his three seasons, but I would argue that it should have been Tom Brady in 2020. It should have been Matthew Stafford in 2021. I'm not sure he's earned any of those Pro Bowls that he's gotten. He's been good. He hasn't been good enough yet. Next one for me. No excuses toward 2022 to a He's saying all the right things. The team is saying all the right things, but... It's all going to be down to him. How far they go depends upon how well he plays. And we know the offense is going to be designed in a way to make the most out of the underneath stuff and the short passes. At some point, he's going to have to make a throw down the field. Are we breaking here or are we doing round three, Matt Casey? We're going to break. We'll do round three of the players under the most pressure draft when PFT Live concludes right after this. There are the results so far. We're on to round three of the draft. The players under the most pressure in 2022. We are under pressure to get this done in the next minute. Shereen, you're up. 
I'm going to go with the guy who says he feels no pressure, and maybe he should feel pressure, Mike, and that's Carson Wentz because he's on his third team in three years. When you're good, you don't go to three teams in three years. That's not the way this works. Number two overall choice in 2016. He had that MVP caliber season in 2017. Last four years, he's 26-29-1. and one. He's got to be better than that in Washington, or this is his last year in the NFL as a starter. Huge pressure for Carson Wentz. We came within 30 seconds of making this show the first one in several weeks that didn't mention Deshaun Watson. Well, I'm going to mention oh. Deshaun Watson because he is under the most pressure between everything that's happening off the field, the questions about when he's going to play, will he be allowed to play, and when he finally does, he better show that he's worth the trouble to which the Browns have gone. Thank you for going to the trouble of watching the program today. Shireen, great job as always. See everybody Monday morning. Have a great weekend. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.